We want to welcome the Holy Spirit. We welcome one another. We've celebrated that we're people from all over here today. But God, unless you're with us, we, we don't want to leave here. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. As we just continue in, in this place just to listen and to share and to come out to worship, will your spirit touch our hearts again? Remind us of how loved we are, that the Father of lights considers us his own and that we're precious to him. And Father, as well, so give us your heart for people who don't yet know you too. That we all recognize again how precious they are to you from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Amen. Do take your seats. And it's my turn to do some shout-outs. I'm going to shout out our Backwell community. And so today, actually, once a month at the moment, uh, people in North Somerset and Backwell, who are part of our congregation here, are doing a local-based thing in Backwell trying to, I guess, create a context for friends and family there. So that's happening this morning. So a number of people who might be here are there. Hope you're having a great time. I also want to give a shout out to Andy and Gwyn Bedford, who are sat there. Now, Andy and Gwyn, Andy actually is a very old friend of mine. We, were, we knew, met one another as teenagers. And when I was in my first year at university, Andy came on a placement to Bristol and lived illegally on my floor, which is um, how he came to be in Bristol in the first place. And... Um, He's a lot older than me, but he looks younger, you know, I don't know. They've been in New Zealand for a long time, and it's obviously, they're thriving on it, aren't they? Anyway, lovely to see you guys. Um, you know, I was looking through the order of service last night, look, Rachel sends a plans through, and I noted that I was preaching, which took me slightly by surprise, because I'd forgotten. But, um, <laughs> doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> but we're thinking a little bit about what it means to be the people of God today. And we're doing a little sermon series on the Old Testament and Jesus in the Old Testament. And I want to think a little bit about what it means to, to be the, those kingdom people, the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God a lot. It was his big message. And when we think about a king and a kingdom, or a queen and a queendom even, but we kind of think of, we think of um, territory, but we also think of people, community of, of uh, numbers of people who are part of that kingdom. A kingdom that doesn't have any people in it isn't much of a kingdom. And in the Old Testament, one of the signs that you're blessed as a king is that you have a lot of people in your kingdom. And so as we think about king and kingdom today, just hold that motif in your mind, that the kingdom isn't just about rule or territory, it's about, it's about people. And um, when we look at the, the story of the Bible, we see this kind of rich narrative that begins in the book of Genesis with God who's creating and where the Holy Spirit is brooding over that creation. The Holy Spirit brooding over the deep. It says brooding over the chaos as God is creating something and building his new creation. The Spirit is there at work. And in that creation, God establishes a place to have relationship and fellowship with the pinnacle of his creation, man and woman, Adam and Eve. And there they are. That's the story. They're there in the Garden of Eden. And the first things that God says to Adam and Eve is, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. And there's a, a picture and a sense of commission. Go out from this garden, this, this, this paradise, this place of order and, and beauty and go and take that 
to the whole of the world. Be my agents, be my stewards, be fruitful, have children, fill the earth, expand it, take territory, go. And, and the, 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 that Genesis story continues with Adam and Eve breaking a covenant with God and that having implications for their relationship with one another and that having implications for their relationship with the planet and where there's been a, a commission to bring order and fullness. Now we find there's disorder and creation itself rebels against hum, humankind and there's, there's all the, 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 the disorder. And, and the Old Testament story is a story of repeated, well, let's start again. And, and, and the flood story is a kind of like a picture. Let's baptize the world. Let's start all over again. And it's, we've got a brand new human family, Noah and his family. And they have the same commission, be fruitful and multiply. Let's fill the earth. And as we look at the Noah story and all that goes on from there, we see again a failure. So God again chooses somebody. He's not going to flood the earth again. This time he chooses somebody out of creation called Abraham. Or Abraham and says, I want you to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to have children. And through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Choosing Abraham, choosing him to become the father of a nation, to have a land and to have a community. And the promised land that's given to him, uh, if you like, now and not yet. It's a great phrase, we won't come back to that. And, um, and, and then, of course, the Abraham story is interrupted by a 400-year sojourn in Egypt, where the descendants of Abraham find themselves there, eventually slaved. And, and God takes one man to lead them out of that, back into that promised land. And so Moses leads the people of Israel and their commission is to go into the promised land and to be fruitful and multiply, to possess the land, to drive out the, um, the people there who are kind of wicked and to, to fill it and make it a place where God can be king, where God can be known, where God can be in relationship with his people. It's a theocracy and where there'll be blessing and flourishing, ultimately for the nations. And then as we read the story of Israel in the promised land, we see again things going wrong. And so God chooses someone to represent him, King David, to start a kind of dynasty that will allow the rule of God to rule through a human king to bring his blessing and order. And for David and his descendants to be leading a fruitful, multiplying people. And we see that story going wrong. And in the time of, of the great writing prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah, actually, as has so often happened from the very beginning, the people of God are choosing other gods, idols, the, the creative forces of the world, and in, in, in pursuing those things and abandoning their worship of God, as Jeremiah puts it, you've abandoned me, the spring of living water, and you've made for yourself broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And so the result of that is dryness, famine, and for the people of Israel and people of Judah later, they are as nations taken into captivity. But in that time, God speaks to them and says, my plan to bless creation, to make a place where I can know and be known, is not going to be frustrated. And ultimately, I will find a true Israel. And Isaiah particularly, which was Jesus' favorite book, Deuteronomy and Isaiah, the the book from the Bible that Jesus quotes the best. And Isaiah 42 says this, Behold my servant, 
whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A, a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. And there's many other kind of prophecies like that. But again, chapter 44 of Isaiah. Now hear, O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen, thus says the Lord who made you, who formed you from the womb and will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. I will pour water on the thirsty land, streams on the dry ground. I'll pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessings on your descendants. And there's this sense there's, there's something going to happen. And when Jesus appears on the scene of human history, he is the fulfillment of those prophecies and many others in the Old Testament. Jesus is, if you like, the true Israel. Israel who is God's firstborn son. That's a metaphor for um, Israel that is used by God in the Old Testament. Now Jesus, God's firstborn son, appears. And of course his life, acts out the story of Israel. His act, even going into Egypt as an infant, as a place of refuge. Um, it, Jesus growing up and, and then when he gets to be baptised, it's like he's going through the Red Sea and then he's led not 40 years in the wilderness but 40 days in the wilderness uh, where he's tested. And, and so much of Jesus' life resonates with the story of Israel. He's acting out and completing that whole Old Testament narrative. Finally, God has got someone on earth, someone, a human being, who fully loves and fully obeys him, and through whom his will and rule can fully be expressed. And so wherever Jesus is, the kingdom of God is. Where Jesus is, the kingdom of God is breaking up. Where Jesus is, God's heart for justice and mercy and reconciliation and healing for creation is happening. And all that, that is the final chapter of the Bible that we see in the book of Revelation is happening now. It's breaking in through Jesus Christ. And so Jesus, the true Israel, has himself a commission to give to his followers. You see, he calls 12 people to follow him. It's not 12 tribes of Israel. It's 12 men who represent this new creation community. This thing that Israel felt to be. Now the church is going to be the community of the people of God, where God can be found. No longer God being in a temple, but God in, as Tim was saying last week, in the lives of the men and women who follow Jesus. We are become temples of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus commissions his disciples, go into all the earth and make disciples of all nations. In other words, it's the re- commissioning of that first covenantal commission of God. Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Followers of Jesus, this renewed community, this new people of God, go into all the world, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. And that's what the early church does. They are sent by Jesus and he says to them, can you imagine that, that group of those first disciples and the group of about 120 around them. 
the challenge to take what they've been given and to go and give it away to the whole world. So last Sunday at Pentecost, we were celebrating what inaugurated that. Because Jesus said to them, go, but he said, don't go until you've received. Stay. Go and stay. Stay and go. Stay till you've received power from on high. So last Sunday, we were celebrating Pentecost. And Pentecost is a fantastic global event, isn't it? Because on the day of Pentecost, people from all around the known world were gathering in Jerusalem. And in that city at that time, that little community of believers in the upper room were filled with God's Holy Spirit. And they spilled out onto the streets and they began to speak the praise of God like we were doing a few months ago. And people from all over the world heard the praise of God in their own language, in their heart language. And what was going on there was a reversal of the division of humanity. You know, one of the tragedies of the human race is that we divide, we tribalize, we become territorial. In Bristol, we may, may divide about being a Rovers or City supporter. Churches and denominations can divide. When I grew up in North Cornwall, there were three Methodist churches from tr three traditions that would not cooperate with one another. We get, we get tribal. We get tribal Britain against the rest of Europe. You know, we, we, we prefer to be on our own, thank you. Or Western Europe against the rest of the world. It's so easy to divide. And yet what God wants is diversity and unity. That's his heart. It's always been that heart. He made creation like that, to be a beautifully diverse but beautifully integrated thing in the natural world in between. Even creating man and woman, creating a, a, a duality in humanity that could come together, different, diverse, and yet together, was, was a picture of the God who loves to be creative but loves to have unity. And so on the day of Pentecost, instead of the division that we read about in the book of Genesis when human beings built a tower for their own glory called Babel and their tongues were divided so they could not be idolatrous and there was a disunity. Now we've had a, um, if you like, the healing of that great wound and people hearing the praise of God in their own language and a unity happening that was meant to be lived out now amongst the people of God. A foretaste here on the day of Pentecost, people from different tribes and tongues and nations worshipping God, becoming one people. And on the back of that, pouring out the Spirit, the early church obeying, going to from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And as far as we know it, in the first generation of the church, the news about Jesus, the invitation to belong to his kingdom, went from Jerusalem are all around the Roman Empire and to the known world, even, we believe, to India with Thomas and Ethiopia, Tigis, <laughs> via um, Candace's official, the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, or the anyway, so, so that great sending out, it was beginning to happen. And there has not, over the last 2,000 years, been a need to recalibrate that commission to start again because of failure. It's not that the church has not had a track record of failure, because it has. We've made all kinds of mistakes. We've, we've, we've done things in territorial and oppressive ways at times in Christendom. But 
the Spirit has been given to the church. And the Spirit has not left the church. And in every generation, the Spirit is bringing his renewal and causing the people of God to be involved in the, the commission of God. We're committed to Christ and to his church, but also to his cause. His cause for the nations, that there could be justice and peace and unity and mercy. And so he's calling us today to be involved in that. So Global Partner Sunday. The point of having our Global Partners back is, yes, to rejoice, to celebrate, to be a bit awed by what they do, to affirm them, to renew our relationships. But it's also to be challenged by them, to be involved in the very same work that they're involved in, wherever God would send us. And it might be that God sends us to Bristol, to our local communities. It might be that God has sent us to be a welcoming people to people from around the world who find themselves in our city. And it's wonderful and tragic that that happens. Bristol's always been a, a city that has both sent and received. We've been a city of trade. We've been a, a, an international city. And today people come to Bristol for all kinds of wonderful reasons, to study or to work. And people have come because we believe prophetically Bristol is called to be a city of refuge, a city of hope. And so the Love Bristol team that have gone out have placed 500 Ukrainian people, and some of them are here today, and you're so welcome. It's wonderful to have you with us. And um, we, we, we see people from Afghanistan and Syria in our city. We, we, we've not been so good at caring and providing for them. We want to do that. We want to be a, a, a people that can welcome and bless and bring the heart of God. It's been wonderful to to welcome so many people from Hong Kong into our city and to celebrate that, um, that they bring with them so much that enriches our lives, but we can also give to them and we can learn from one another. But I'm just going to invite um, Annette to come up on stage with me and um, tell some of her story. And I met Annette in the early 1990s when she was just 12. And, um, and actually, she, she describes to me just kind of when we, when we moved into... When, when, when Woodlands Church was established in 1995, at the same time, we moved into the big community house where we, where we live, Ashley Down House, and Annette was one of the people that came around and painted there. And uh, she was there for tea on Friday. She said, it still looks very scruffy, David. Yeah. <laughs> and Annette, at that time, you were working as a physiotherapist in, um, in Bristol. And you'd, you'd had an experience of kind of going to the Middle East, and, and you felt called to the Middle East. What was that all about for you? Um, I think I, I've always had a calling, I felt, from God to serve those that uh, were under, underprivileged and forgotten. Um, and um, a, a while before I came to Bristol, actually, God put a very clear calling that I was to serve in the Middle East uh, amongst Muslims. And uh, I tried to get away from it when I was in Bristol. And, um, you know, but God is, it has a way to make himself known. So I, I, I just responded to their call. It's just being obedient to go when he calls you. Okay, so it's not, I mean, you're from the Netherlands. Um, you didn't have any particular exposure necessarily growing up to, to um, that, that community. And you, you didn't, you trained as a physio. When you went, what were you actually able to do just as a, as a Western woman which we don't always think it's easy for women, let alone Western women, going to an Islamic culture. What, what did you do when you went? Um, initially, I worked as a physio, 
Um, and it was just serving disabled children and, and equipping local people to serve their own people. Uh, I moved on then and uh, currently I work in a, an agency that does child protection. So I think very practically, it's giving hands and feet to the fact that God loves everybody um, and loves children. And how do they know unless somebody comes to show them really that there is somebody that really cares and listens to them and um, yeah. And I, I know uh, Annette, that currently you're working with the many, many children who've been displaced through the many wars that have ravaged the, the region of the world where you're working. And um, what, what kind of needs do you encounter and how do you try and meet those needs? I think it's very um, tragic. I find it quite overwhelming. I mentioned that earlier in the eight o'clock, but I think there is so much injustice and there's so much uh, hopelessness and despair uh, where I work um, and so much, so much trauma amongst children. Many also are forgotten and neglected and uh, they feel worthless as, as if nobody cares. So I think um, it's, it's just... Um, I lost your question, actually. Well, what, what do you see in the lives of the children? What do you do to try and alleviate their, their needs? Um, I, yeah, I mentioned earlier that there was just, I mean, just to highlight some of the issues, there's a little boy who was five years old, and we found him. Um, he came to one of our centers, and they noticed that he had a lot of wounds and burns and bruises on his body. And he started sharing his story, and he's just basically looked after by a stepmother, his parents, uh, his father died um, in, any, in, in the wars and his mother disappeared and he is just basically exploited by his step family to make money for the family and if he doesn't bring back enough money, um, he gets really severely abused. There's not much we can do to take him out of that situation, but in our center and through our staff, we can give him a place where he's been listened to, where he's cared for, and where he receives um, some positive inputs and support. And I think that makes a huge amount of difference. We gave him a little toy and he is hugging it and would never let it go because it's something that belongs to him. So it's very practically um, letting children know that there, is, uh, there are people and there is, uh, there are, they are cared and they're valued. I know and that you were reflecting on the remark of um, someone from the, the, the local nation where you are about the impact that you and uh, the, the program that you work with have, have had on, on, on their lives. Well, um, the fact that Westerners come into care. And, yeah, yeah we, we, we work um, at many different levels, but um, we had a conflict with, with one of the projects we we're working with, and one of the staff there said to one of our staff, he said, you know, um, <coughs> people from our faith don't care about our children. And yet there's foreigners that come, they have a different faith, and they care more than all of us together. And I'm just very sad about that, that, you know, we can't care as much as you do. And as you look over the, 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 the decades that you've been in this, I mean, this is a project really started by two Western women uh, going in, in quite vulnerability to to stand with a, a forgotten, marginalized people. What sort of team have you got with you now? And how many lives have you, do you think you've been able to touch? Um, we've been there a long time. Actually, the project was started by two local guys okay. as well. Right. So there is a very strong local ownership. Unfortunately, there are people that do care, but they are in the minority. I think we have uh, 
a quite a big team now of, of local people that work with us, um, about 70, I think. Most of them are Muslims. Um, and in the years that we've been there, I, I did a little bit of a calculation um, uh, earlier uh, last month. We have touched over 35,000 children um, over the years. And, you know, some are more than, you know, some impact has been bigger, but we have touched their lives somehow. And there's a lot of pain in seeing the suffering of children, but there's also fruit. Can you describe something that where you're particularly encouraged by perhaps the fruit of what you've been able to do? Um, I think it's when you see children taking ownership of what we do. And there was one boy, he's 18, he was also displaced, and he came to one of our centres. I, I shared that also earlier. But um, he, he said, you know, I learned that, um, I learned to love people, and I learned to see that we're all equal and we're all humans and there's no difference depending on you know what your religion or your uh, nationality is and he said also I've learned that because you believed in me he told this to our staff um, I learned to believe in myself and that I could do things that I didn't think was possible and he went back to his place of origin um, and he saw a lot of destruction in a lot of kids and he said, I saw so many kids who were so sad. And he said, I recognize the feelings and the attitude because I have been there. And he said, what I've learned through the work of our organization and through our staff, he said, I was able to share with them and give them some guidance of what he's learned. And he said, it was so good to be able to give back to others. And it changed him, and hopefully it will be paid forward. Thank you, Annette. Just my final question to you really is, you have been working overseas under considerable stress and pressure, sometimes with real danger, with, with a, a lot less comfort than you would have had if you'd stayed working in Europe. What keeps you going? What sustains you? How do you find the, the grace to keep on doing what you're doing? I, yeah, I think it's it's God, really. I don't know. I would have never assumed that I would have been there so long. I think it is God. It's being obedient. I really felt strongly that God called me. And I think I've learned over the years that if God calls you, he gives you the strength and the energy to keep going. At the same time, I think uh, the Woodlands Group of Churches has been extremely supportive. And I think prayer and support also really sustains and gives us the perseverance to continue to do what we do. Thanks, Annette. I mean, it's great that um, we, we have Global Prayer every month, which Johnny Walker, who's our champion, there he is with his hat on at the back there. So thank you so much for what you do, Johnny. Honestly, without you helping us support our global partners, our support would be far weaker than it is. So big respect to you, Johnny. And um, it's great that people like Pete came to visit you quite recently, didn't, didn't they? And uh, you made him work out there. It's good. And if you want to go and, and visit, don't forget that short-term mission pop. And actually, if, if, uh, like, um, it was so inspiring, again, with um, talking to our students, our student graduates, and talking to Tom, who's just graduated this summer and getting married in August, and saying, I said, well, what are you going to do next, Tom? Well, I'm going out to step. I'm going to go uh, with um, whatever that was called. I'm going to take the step of going overseas and work with Annette. And, um, yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so I'm going to pray for you, if I may. Father, thank you so much for Annette. She's... Um, an inspiration to us, and um, we thank you that you've given her your Holy Spirit. You've not left her as an orphan, and you've not left those orphan children as orphans either. 
you've actually put hands and feet and smiles and resources and little knitted toys and, and, and food and, and shelter and a place for some education in their way. And we pray, Father God, that for Annette, you would bless and use her. Make her a witness for your kingdom. Make her fruitful, sustain her by the power of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as I finish, you are a chosen people, a royal nation, belonging to God, as Peter puts it. You were once not a people, but now you are a people. And if you are a kingdom people, you have a kingdom commission. And so I'm going to quote the words of Jesus to you. Go into all the world, starting in Bristol, to make disciples of all nations and bringing good news. Be it, be it, don't be a kind of um, grumpy, condemning, harsh, uh, you know, critical Christian. Be someone who sees the treasure in people because they're made in the image of God and call it out and invite them to know the Father. I'm just going to hand back to Rachel. We'll just, we want to take a chance to pray. It might be that today you feel that you'd love some prayer to be part of that, that mission and you, you need more of that power of God. Then um, I'd love to, some of us will be down here, we'd love to pray for you. Anything from you, Rachel? Thanks, Dave. When I was um, listening to Annette, something really stood out at me that what she said, and she said, you know, she was talking about the, the young guy that has grown, and she said, it's about learning to love. Learning to love. And I just felt like there's a bit of a Holy Spirit sort of um, unction on that about learning to love others. And we won't grasp hold of the Great Commission to tell others about Jesus unless we love them. It will just be effort and hard work and not very good. So I'm going to ask the band to come up and we're going to, I'm just going to take a moment to pray for us all. So if you'd like to stand with me, if you're able. And I'm going to pray for us that we would learn to love in a deeper way. That we would learn to love God's people who is everybody in the world, from our neighbours to those in other countries, to those that we work alongside, the person in the desk opposite you tomorrow morning, the person who's in the office down the corridor, the neighbour who's a bit tricky, the lady on the checkout, the guy stacking the shelves. These are all our neighbours who God is calling us to love. So let's just take a moment I'm going to pray for us and then this guy's going to lead us in some worship and I'm going to put my own hands out as a verbal sign <laughs> that I want to be able to love more like Jesus does and if you want to join me then you might want to do that too Holy Spirit we we thank you that we don't love others in our own strength but we love because you first loved us and the love that you pour into our lives you want to spill out into the lives of others. You want us to love people like you do. You want us to love the mission like you do. You want us to love the world like you do. And where some of us just feel a bit like our hearts are cold or lukewarm or passive, indifferent, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and soften our hearts, to care for the things that you care about, to care for the people that you care for, Show us what the next step looks like for us. 
Show us what it means to love our neighbor, to love our enemy, to love those that we don't like. Show us what it looks like to love those who don't know you. Show us what it looks like to tell others about you from a place of love rather than from a place of duty or a place of fear. Holy Spirit, soften our hearts. Soften my heart this morning. Help us to sense the refreshing of your spirit today, where you meet us, where we are at, and then offer to take us a next step on. (laughs) That you don't put anything heavy on us. You're not trying to put a burden over our lives. You're not trying to make us feel bad or guilty. You're just trying to move us forward to help us grow. You're trying to pour out your love into our our own hearts. And so, yeah, I say that, Spirit of God, pour out your love into our hearts today, in this moment. May we know that we are loved by you and that because of that, we can love others. In Jesus' name, amen. Like Dave said, if you'd like some of us to pray for you, we would love to do that down on my left. I think particularly if you feel a stirring towards mission, a stirring to going, whatever, you might not know what that looks like, then we'd love to pray for you. Or if you've come with a need, a prayer for healing, or you're not here, I mean, you're here as a, not as a Christian, you're on a journey of faith, and you're like, I don't know Jesus yet, but I kind of, what's going on here? I want to find out more, then we'd love to chat for, further with you. But we're going we're gonna to worship, and then I'll close the service in a moment. Come, come and pray if you want to.